and a very warm welcome back to In The Box for our latest episode. We have come up to a rather windy and blustery Cliverow Wolves to talk all things funding and finance because we are very well aware that the cost of living crisis is affecting us all. Most of all, for clubs and leagues across the country are some challenges that we perhaps haven't tackled before. So Cliver are here to share some insights, knowledge and some top tips for you about how you can place those finances and fundraising at the heart of your priorities this new year. I think it's fair to say that Clivero Wolves have done an outstanding job in terms of thinking outside of the box when it comes to their funding. And I'm delighted to say joining us now is Richard, who is the Football Development Officer here. And um, first things first, tell us about this amazing football club. So uh, we're going to meet Ross Hibbert in a bit and it was his dad that set up Wolves in 1992. Uh, classic story of a dad just wanting to get his kids playing football um, and we have grown exponentially. Um, we're lucky that we remain the only club in the town. We're surrounded by facilities and willing players and, and volunteers and parents and coaches uh, and we are going into, well we're halfway through the season now, uh, we've got about 700 registered players, we've got teams in every age group, every ability level, we've got disability groups, we've got a massively growing women's and girls section, we've got adult football now, we just this season managed to get a relationship with our local semi-pro team, Clither FC, so we've got a bit of a feeder route through there as well now, so I mean it's, it's a fantastically growing club. And clubs are always going from strength to strength, but obviously the cost of living crisis yeah. is happening. Everyone's feeling the pinch. Just give us a bit of a flavour about what the club's been up to. That will take a deeper dive into later. Yeah, um, so we have looked into a lot of funding pots over the years. We're lucky that some of the guys on the committee have got the kind of skills to help us exploit that kind of route. Um, we know that there are families with situations in the town that, that have spoken to us privately and we've tried to accommodate them. We've come up with sort of individual uh, incentives and, and help and that kind of thing. Um, we're lucky that we've got good sponsors in the area and supportive sort of parents and, and the volunteers within the club. Uh, and it's just making sure that we kind of align those things and, and that we're constantly talking about it on the committee and, and just making sure that it, it works for everybody. Richard, you spoke about how far the club has come in, in such a short space of time and with the sort of financial background of everything going on at the moment as well. If you were to give clubs and leagues one tip, one piece of advice that you found has worked for you here, what would that be? Um, making sure that you've got those characters on your committee who, who can really help you tap into those local parts, you know you don't just assemble a committee based on on the football once you've got to a certain size that we've got to it's it's the other skill sets that people can bring to the table as well and and that's really how we've managed to tap into those kind of funding pots and initiatives in the areas i think we spoke about it a little bit off camera as well you spoke about actually empowering the committee to be the ones that can go and just focus on certain areas yeah so you know i mean when I'll blow his trumpet when Mark Hilton got involved, the, the uh, consultant. We really helped nail down those kind of roles and responsibilities within the club to make sure that we weren't duplicating effort and to make sure that everyone on the committee knew what they were doing and what they were in charge of. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's the advice, Tom. Yeah. One key achievement in recent times has been appointing Ross as the club's first full-time manager. Can you talk us through his journey and your ability as a football club to be able to make that move? Yeah. I mean, that's massive. And, it, you know, it wasn't easy to do that. It's controversial, you know. There's there's questions. Um, I think, again, the guys on the committee. It, the idea was floated a couple of years back. Um, you know, the the size of the club now, the amount of the amount of responsibility and the amount of expectation that's on those volunteers. You know, is draining us. And and we couldn't cover all the bases. We couldn't get all the admin done. We couldn't get the things going just to make sure that the kids have got football. 
Um, it was also putting a hell of a lot of pressure on Ross, the man. You know, he was the chairman of the club. Like I said, his dad set it up and he, he feels that burden. Um, you know, he's, he's balancing a very busy club. He had his job, he's got a family, he's got all that responsibility. And it, it was causing him issues as well, to be honest. Um, and when Mark came on board, he helped us figure out how that works. You know, look at the finances. Can we afford it primarily? You know, we that that was a decision that weighed heavily on our conscience you know on the committee are we taking a decision here that that could potentially damage the club you know it's a risk uh, so making sure that was in place making sure that we then roles and responsibilities again making sure that it was clear what was expected of ross because then you know and i, I remember saying it in a meeting in a meeting your relationship's going to change with this club now we're your boss and it, it's not just a hobby anymore and it was it was it was a big one that and we we did take that seriously uh, but with mark's guidance with the help of the fa the support that we got making sure we consulted people at like hr payroll you know we have to do his holidays now we have to do all that kind of stuff that we're not 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 a lot of us on the committee do that in our normal lives so it was a massive thing um but we're a year in now um and it's worked it's it's reduced the workload of the guys on the committee, it's increased our ability to tap into resource and opportunities. We're doing more coaching on the sides, we can bring all that kind of stuff in as well. And we've just got the guys on the committee now get back to being good at what they're good at. And that's been a massive thing. And loads of clubs are on the cusp of obviously making that transition or that step or that journey and need the guidance and support of not just the FA but local county FAs, your volunteers with the expertise. So we look forward to taking a bit of the activity and then we'll welcome you back in for a team talk. So we've come inside now for team talk. We're joined once again by Richard and we also welcome Ross, the club manager here at Clivero Wolves. Ross, I'm going to start with you. Obviously, cost of living impact is on our doorstep. What's the impact been like so far at the club? In terms of, of the kids involved, we've not really seen much of it at the moment, but we have got things in place where, for example, um, the subs, if people approach us with, with the struggling to pay the subscriptions, um, we have some kids, who, some families who have three, two, three, four players playing, so we do give a discount in that, but if we, we kind of judge it on each individual basis. To, so if a family comes to us and they're struggling, um, and then, then we kind of judge it from there. But obviously we've still got the facility to run, we've still got to pay for the pitches, we've still got to employ certain coaches for, for their roles in the club. So yeah, we, we kind of judge it on each individual basis at the moment. Richard, you touched upon it earlier when we spoke. The football club has received funding and secured funding from a variety of different places. Talk us through your journey as a football club where funding and finance became more of a priority and how you went about expanding the opportunities you had to, to bring in some income. Um, it's kind of a natural progression, really. You know, as, as we grow, we obviously need new venues. We need more coaches. We had slots that we couldn't fill with volunteers you then get a new venue and you've got to maintain that, you've got to buy the equipment, you've got another team joins and another team joins and we're expanding so we need more kits. So the need is just ever growing. It's, it's not like we can sort of control that as such. Um, it's relatively predictable, I guess, in terms of what a, a team requires. Um, then it's a case of knowing what's out there. And, and like I touched on before, you know, we're, we're lucky to have characters on the committee who know how to tap into those kind of pots. And there's the initiatives like there's the, you know, local councils have got their own initiatives and there's the bigger pots, there's the private companies do them as well. And, and bigger organisations like I think we've looked at Tesco and, and the Football Foundation and stuff like that as well. And it stems from the structure that you've put in place, like you say, and being able to go after that. Ross, yourself, you've, you've gone full time at the club. Yeah, so I've been a volunteer in the club. Well, Dad started it 30 years ago this year and then kind of when my son decided he wanted to play, I started off coaching and then got involved in the committee side of things. 
So for the last 15 years I've been a volunteer and then since May, because of um, my job previously, I couldn't balance the, the, the amount of growth in the club and, and do the, the, the and do my job as well. So that we, we came up with a, a part of the programme with Mark, that was one of the first things we did. Um, so since May I've been full-time, yeah. And we've been speaking a lot about generating income and bringing more money into the football club, but what ways have you gone about perhaps looking to cost cuts and save some money as well? Probably got a little bit better at sponsorship, would you say? Getting, you know, for, for example, if a sponsor can give us 300 quid towards a kit and the kit costs 400, obviously the 100 pounds got to be made up by the club. So getting a little bit better at managing that, looking after equipment better. You know, we, we like the kids to look smart when they're playing, when they're training, the, the managers to look smart. Um, so we just got better at managing the whole, the whole club, really. And Richard, obviously Walter can't join us this evening, but Walter's obviously done a lot of work in, in terms of fundraising for the club. Can you touch on a little bit of the stuff that he's gone and explored and sort of differentiated away from the membership fees and such as that? Um, yeah, so Walter's specialist subject, he's been able to tap into these funds. He, he knows where these kind of organisations are, like your football foundations or I think Tesco do grants and that kind of thing. You know, you see the, um, I don't know what they call the scheme, but there's the little blue tokens you get in the supermarket, you drop those in the box. Well, we've tapped into that. They regularly, I think we've used that several times now. It's not like you can only do it once. Um, so Walt's great at just making sure that we, we know what's going on and when that's available. Um, I think there's also grants and schemes to do with housing developments and that kind of thing. So he taps into that. We know when they're coming up. Clitheroe's growing exponentially. There's houses everywhere. So we know that there's these kind of things available. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's local council as well. We just contact the council, you know, just, just have the gumption to contact them and, and speak to them and say, what's out there? What can we tap into? And, and that's really what he's helped us do. And it's, it's because he's got that role in the committee. We made that role in the committee. It's his responsibility. It's his role. Um, and he goes away and he does that for fun because he loves it. Well, I think it's really interesting is although the subject that we're talking about on this episode is finance, it's actually the structure that you've been doing with your volunteers and every football club, every football league is going to have uh, hundreds of volunteers, whether they give up an hour or, or more, but actually going out and perhaps having some conversations along the sidelines, finding out about people's jobs and their lives away from the football club, you've then been able to benefit from their kind of professional life in a voluntary capacity. Yeah, I think in terms of the way we structure the club through through Mark and the programme, um, we've obviously got 70-odd teams, probably 71, 72 teams now, so that's over 1,000, well, 800,000 players. So each each individual team has got somebody in there that we could probably tap into their expertise, like Walter and Richard and, and Dave, you know, works in finance, so he, he's the treasurer. It makes sense. I just... I just know football, so I do the football side, and then. But the rest of the people in the club, you know, we've got hundreds and hundreds, thousands of parents involved. So there's obviously people behind us now, and, and you, you know, I, I go and watch a lot of training sessions and and speak to a lot of parents. So there there is opportunities there that other clubs could tap into, and just you know, if you know a role and responsibility of a committee member or a committee role that you need to fill, then you go and try and find a person to do that, and don't. You know, we're lucky in a way that the people we've got on the committee at the moment are fairly, are fairly good at each role they do, um, but it's just tapping into their expertise. So one of the top tips is start close to home. You've got many members and many, obviously, skill sets out there, but be specific in the skill sets that you're looking for and get them onboarded within your committee and your structures. Yeah, I, th I think it's difficult enough to get volunteers, whether you just want a dad to coach or a mum to coach. Um, but in terms of getting volunteers, give them a specific role and, and don't, don't overburden them with the workload. Uh, and try and break it down as much as you can. We're lucky because we've got a lot of people involved in the club. Other clubs are not in that situation, uh, you know, 
are not in that situation, but there is, there is opportunities to do it. There's a point that came up at the conference, actually. I got chatting with Paul Elliott after he gave his speech on the Saturday night. Uh, and we'd had a couple of things happen in the club that we, we think we could do better at. Um, so I went and got five minutes with him, and it was, it was really good chatting with him. And one of the things he said to me was, as long as you represent in your community. So we're looking at our committee now, and we're starting to say, well, have we got those kind of characters? Have we got those kind of people, those kind of backgrounds that represent all the different areas of the club? And it's, it is now a specific aim of doing that. It, maybe it wasn't before, but now we can think about that. You know, we talk about you know, doing things like this, more PR, make more noise about what we're good at. Um, we could do with maybe some more marketing heads on the committee, so a bit of an appeal, you know. <laughs> can we get a marketing person to come and volunteer, that kind of thing? You know, we've got guys on the, who are doing it now, but at the moment we're probably still pulling favours or we're still exploiting networks, whereas can we get someone who's got that kind of skill set? So that's how we now want to approach it. I love your honesty and transparency, and I know for people who listen to In The Box, that's going to be really refreshing, and lots and lots of people are going to be in really similar situations. Ross, I wanted to ask you a question, because you spoke about the heritage of this football club, the fact that your, your father founded it 30 years ago. Yeah. It must mean a great deal to you, and congratulations on reaching no, 30 years. No, it does. I mean, he got an award a couple of weeks ago from the LFA for his 30-year contribution. I mean, he's in his 80s now, and we try and keep him away from the committee, because he has his old school yeah. head-on with in terms of the football instructor but you know he, he's funny uh, he's funny his dad and he's you know he, he doesn't say he's proud of us very often but I did get a text after that after we did a presentation day just to say he's amazed at what we're, what we're achieving so it does it does mean a lot for me and all three of my children have come through the, the club as well so um, yeah, I'm proud of where we are, to be fair. Well, as a quick follow-up, of course, you know, given what you've just said there and the, the pride that yourself, your family and those in the community now feel about the football club, being future-proof, thinking not just necessarily about the season ahead, but the next five years, the next ten years, um, what, are you, what plans are you putting in motion? Like, what, again, tips would you give people to try and think that little bit longer term as well to ensure that their football club can last the next 30 years so successfully Yeah, I mean, too? the pitches behind us are probably two or three years old now and we, we went through a four-year process uh, to get these built. Um, the council built them in the end. We, you know, we have the majority of the slots, but it's now, we've gone from 28 teams in 2014 to 71. So in eight, nine years, we've, trebled almost and that's only going to get more in the next couple of years we're probably going to hit 100 teams but the, we can only sustain that growth if we're now planning as a committee for the for the next five or ten years so we are we are working with with mark again on the program to to tap into some more funding to develop the club to expand facilities um but again that cost comes with funding and it comes with planning issues and it comes with all sorts of different headaches but i'm in a position now and i'm lucky that i can be able to do that and and spend the time on it to, to future proof the, the club for the next next 30 years or, or beyond brilliant it's probably a good time to bring mark hilton in because for those people that are tuning into in the box the fa club program is something that you've been part of and something that we're going to launch more out there from the fa and central to provide support and services that you've tapped into so mark welcome to the podcast FA Club consultant, can you tell us a little bit about the journey that you've had with Cliverow Wolves and where they've got to today? Yeah, certainly. I don't know if uh, Ross welcomed me or not of all the work I've put on his doorstep, but uh, I've been working with the Wolves since, what, 2019? So they were one of my first clubs I dealt with, and I must say it's been a pleasure. Um, I think when we first had a meet, I think I was sat in your kitchen, and I think we fairly quickly identified that although Ross in particular was a massive strength of the club, with the amount of work he was doing, he was also a potential weakness as well. And that's what we've worked on, I think, over the last, what, three or four years to help build this structure. 
because I'm a big believer if you don't have the structure in place, you, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think it's testimony to Ross, Richard, Dave and Walter that they built that committee and put the right people in the right places to do some of the things that we've suggested. Mark, we've got two very humble guys alongside us. Um, you can perhaps shout out a bit more the growth that has gone on here and the achievements, the strides that have been taken through that proactive planning, through that structuring and through building a community that people want to be a part of. Oh yeah, it's been absolutely phenomenal. In my time dealing with them, the number of teams that they've put on, I think your girls programme has gone from what, four or five teams up to 20? through from under threes right the way up to open age. It's been absolutely phenomenal. But they've built a club where people want to come to, and that's down to these guys. But there's a lot more work to do, isn't there? You know, we're, we're talking about the next development at Highmore and funding that, and, you know, but if you keep building it, you've got to keep adding to it, haven't you? So, but they've, they've been fantastic, absolutely fantastic to work with. You know, as a club consultant, you want to work with the club, we want to work back with you, and these, these guys certainly want to do that. It's been Absolutely. a pleasure. Your role, Mark's almost like a mentorship. You build up fantastic relationships and give that guidance. There's a lot of clubs in the position that Cliver are in now. What's the next piece of advice you'd be giving a club like Cliver or, or other clubs in a similar position? I think we've got to explore other areas of raising funds. Gift aid we've talked about, that's one item we've not ticked off yet. We've got the club structure there or thereabouts. We've got issues whether we join the club, which is a cask with the charity that owns Highmore. Um, so we've got things to do, definitely things to do, but it's, sometimes it's baby steps, isn't it? We've done a lot, I think, in the last three years. Um, and sometimes we just don't want to overload clubs. But I think there's, there's certainly work we, we've got to do yet, isn't there? Mark, just reflecting on the subject of this podcast specifically, the cost of living crisis, it's kind of been lurking in mm. the background of a real difficult couple of years and certainly looking to the year ahead it's kind of unavoidable that clubs are going to have to tackle that challenge as well you work with a lot of clubs you've got a lot of experience in the game for those listening for those watching what tip would you give them if they're perhaps feeling a bit daunted and not sure where to even begin i think you've got to have an eye on your expenses and an eye on your finances you've got to make sure you've got somebody involved who knows what th what things are costing how you can save money how you can bring more money in um, and that, that's, that's where you need to build your board again, build your structure to make sure the right people look at the right numbers because in the current crisis, if you leave something for a month, you'll find that that cost has trebled and you can't afford to do that. So again, it's all about structure, getting the right people in the right place. And again, this is what Wolves have done. Mark, massive thank you from us in, as being part of the team. Obviously, the work you're doing with Cliverow and other clubs is just is phenomenal. It's that guidance, it's that advice, it's opportunities like this of In The Box where we can share that insight, that knowledge to continue to tap into. Richard, Ross, I just want to come to you for one last question to finish off on. Ambition for the club. Where's it going to be in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Very good question. Um, I think... I'm not being modest. I, I would say so. Next five years, we would have a full. We've got the full playing structure right through from the girls through to the ladies team. We've got it from the boys through into the men's team into Clitheroe FC. We've got a disability group which is obviously quite close to my heart because I've got a, a son with Down syndrome who's 17. So we've built that that, that pan disability group. And we're hoping to develop that. Um, we've got the walking football, so we're kind of ticking nearly every box. But I don't know how far we can take that. And the dream is to be the biggest and best we can be and keep keep doing what we're doing well. You only have to look at the amount of kids playing. And it just gives me enormous pride to see that every week. Um, 
I don't know, maybe 150 teams in five years' time, perhaps. We'll see. But we need, a, we need another of these pitches. So. Well, look, I have absolutely no doubt with the structure you've got in place, with the dedication, with the expertise, you're going to go on to achieve that and much, much more. Thank you so much for sharing no, your you. experience with us on Team Talk. Thank you. Well, we've had a great team talk here in the clubhouse. Let's get outside. Let's get involved in training and see which players we can find to talk to. So we've headed out to the pitches to get a parent's perspective on the cost of living crisis. Lisa, I'm going to come to you first. How important is it for you as a parent to have a football club like this able to stay open during the cost of living crisis? It's really important for me. My boys are football obsessed um, and if we didn't have this I don't actually know what we would do. Um, if I had to turn around to say to them that I couldn't afford for them to come to football, I'd, 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 they would be absolutely mortified and they'd be distraught. Football's their life and so for us to be able to be part of this grassroots football team it's a lot very important for us and for my children. Football clubs run deep into their community and more than just having the chance to actually watch football being played here, what else does it mean to you? It's it's the heart, it's the, it's the main part of our week really. Um, I, Josh, absolutely adores it, gets up five o'clock in the morning with his football kit on, all ready to die, that's when there's a 12 o'clock kickoff. Uh, Royal United fans in our house and uh, over the last few years it's been good to uh, have, a have a team playing a bit more successfully who Josh plays for than United themselves so it's, it's just the main part of the weekend and it, the weekend doesn't get any better after that. Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself and the team that you play for. So I'm Amy and I'm 15 and I'm, I play for Clever Wolves. Tell us what you love about playing a game of football. Everything about it really, just how it makes me feel fit and just playing with my friends and I've just grown up with it. And I just love playing football because it's like a team sport. You get to meet lots of new friends who are really good and we just love working together and developing the team. I love football because it's good and it helps you get fit. I love football because I like having friends. Well, I like football because um, I like scoring the goals. I love football just because I like the community that we're all part of and you just enjoy it like while you play it. Um, I love football because it's good for women to have the opportunity to be able to play as well as men. Obviously, given the Lionesses winning the Euros, it, it makes it even more sort of impactful and makes you sort of want to inspire the younger generation to want to get into football. I love football because it's a good way to keep fit. I'm 45, so coming down on a Monday night and a Wednesday night is a good way of keeping fit and playing football and having fun. I like my football club because they're nice and kind. I love my club because since playing it when I was four, just moving up the age group with girls and boys mixed, just everyone's so nice and just the atmosphere is just lovely. Uh, I love my club because I live in Clitheroe, um, so it's nice just to play for your hometown and represent them and uh, hopefully we get a win this season. <laughs> I love my club because they're a fab bunch of girls representing Clitheroe. We play um, on Sunday, Sunday League, we have such a laugh, even if we don't win, it's a really good team spirit. It's a very good team, uh, like the whole of the organisation is really good and the coaches are amazing. And the people are just really nice, so I love playing here. We have seen a number of amazing posts from clubs and leagues across the country highlighting their successes in 2022. Here is one of our favourites. 
Absolutely. Following on from the Lionesses Euros win, the Doncaster and District Junior Football League launched a brand new girls league to allow girls between the ages of 7 and 10 the chance to play in a girls only league on their doorstep. 28 teams and nearly 400 players are taking part in its debut season. Absolutely fantastic job. It's because of clubs and leagues like you that people across the country, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity, are able to play the game they love. That's a wrap for this episode of In The Box up here at Cliveroe Wolves. We've had a wonderful time talking and getting some insights around how to deal with that cost of living crisis that we know is pinching every club and league across the country. The conversation doesn't stop here. Make sure that you come over and join us on Clubhouse where you can find even more resources and useful information to tackle the cost of living crisis and make sure that your finances are future proof. That is about all we have time for on this episode of In The Box. So until next time, goodbye. <laughs>